that just joined Patreon to support you guys. So that's something that helps you guys out. Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's cool, you know? Yeah, I appreciate it. With the Patreon membership, you get this one-on-one call. Plus, we're doing two group calls a month now with past guests. Plus, there's an exclusive Patreon feed where you get special episodes if you're a Patreon member. Oh, man. Nice. I'll to snap to you. Awesome. You're not the one running it. Hire great people, no question about it, but you can't just let them run it. I just suck at managing. I learned to not care. I learned to not care about what others thought of me. I have, I joke, I have two speeds, namaste and I'll cut a bitch. What do you do and what do you think could help our audience as far as what you could teach them today? Well, I mean, I am sort of a jack of all trades in that regard. And then I started my career working for America Online. I got lucky and wound up being in a chat room of all things. I was early enough on the internet that I was there when AOL was the internet, as they called it. And I wound up working for America Online in the mid-90s. I uh, started their newsroom along with a few other people. And when I left AOL in the late 90s, I moved back to New York right around the time that the dot-com boom was starting. And so I was able to sort of parlay my AOL experience into starting a PR firm. Had no experience running my own company, but figured, what the hell, I'll, it goes along. And uh, launched a, a PR firm that worked in the, uh, in the dot-com space. We rep clients like Napster, Juno, America Online. Pretty amazing time. Wound up uh, selling that selling that agency in 2001. Consulted for several years. Eventually came up with the uh, idea for launching and talking to everyone all the time. And, and being that guy who, uh, you know, if you're on an airplane next to him, I'm going to find out about you. I, unless you fake your death, I'm going to find out pretty much everything about you in flight. I have a huge Rolodex, and I was able to uh, parlay that into um, an idea where I could help people by creating uh, a mailing list that eventually turned into Help a Reporter Out. Help a Reporter Out, of course, Harrow sort of changed how PR and journalism work together. That was acquired a little over seven years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. And that was sort of a game-changing moment for me. Since then, I have been writing books, consulting, a keynote speaker, I am talking head on many of the networks, and I run a mastermind group with a... Uh, couple hundred people in it, entrepreneurs, where I help them and we become better entrepreneurs. And then finally, I have the number one podcast on iTunes that focuses on ADD and ADHD, understanding that it is a gift, not a curse. And that is me in a nutshell. I guess backtracking. So you went to Boston University? I did. I was a BU grad, grad school in Santa Barbara for fashion and portrait photography. With 18 credits to go, lost my financial aid. Government sent me a letter that said, your parents make too much money. We're taking away your financial aid. I said the government, remember saying the government back letters that their parents do make too much money, they keep it, and I'll end up moving back to New York. And then that led to AOL. So, okay. So, yeah, you went there, then that's, that's when the AOL journey started. So, as far as today, I don't know if you want to touch on one company more than the others as far as learning experience, or I don't know if to help a reporter out, was that what your main... That's what people know me for. I think that was one of the best, the biggest things I did, and certainly the most game-changing in terms of when it was sold, there were several things I learned. You know, it was a wonderful way to, to understand how customers expect to be treated and how I learned how my audience expects to be treated. I learned how, you know, most people don't expect great customer service. They expect actually pretty crappy customer service. And if you can be just a little bit better than what they expect, I'm not talking about being awesome or amazing or, you know, or blowing it up. I'm talking about being a little bit better than what people expect. And, and because the bar is so low, I think the biggest thing I learned is that you don't have to be that amazing. All you have to do is just be a little bit better. 
Okay. So I guess that's the main thing that you pulled out from help a reporter out, you're saying? A lot of things. I mean, that was the main thing in terms of growing a, a company. I also learned that no one will ever have as strong of a dream for your company as you do. And so if you're not the one running it, hire great people. No question about it. But you can't just let them run it. You, you can't just say, okay, well, I have my director of marketing. I have my VP of sales. I'm good. I can chill. You have to maintain a presence and it has to continue to be your dream and your vision. And you can't just assume that because you're hiring smart people, you're going to have an easy, easy time. You always have to work at it. And because if you don't, if you go away and you focus on anything else, and, and lit, then you're just trading on your social capital and you're not in charge anymore. And until you sell that thing, until it's out of your control, you have to be running it. Was there an example of that happening while yeah, you were there? Yeah. I had hired certain people who I thought would be awesome and, oh, this makes it so much easier. And, you know, they did their jobs, but it doesn't mean you could just walk away. I had to stay focused and I had to be aware because, you know, at the end of the day, it's still my company. I still own 100% of it. It's still my name on the door. And you need to make sure that you're owning that. So while it's great to be able to take some of the load off, you can't ever assume that it's going to just become simple. You constantly have to be busting your butt. Yeah. I imagine there was there even like more specifically, I don't know if there's one example that you can think of where that happened. Because I mean, I can tell you from my experience, I kind of similar situation where you're like, okay, you realize you don't want to be the guy doing it all. And then you start hiring and then you're like, okay, well, at least for me, I was like, okay, maybe I can step back a little bit and let those people do their job. But you can't step back totally, even if you, you're trying to delegate a little bit more. So you said, was it specifically one hire or a couple hires where you're thinking? No, it was, I think just over time, I realized that, you know, whatever I'm doing, I need to make sure that I'm still involved. If I get, essentially you can't, if you're running a company, you have to run your company, right? Part of that running the company is hiring the right people to make your job a little easier. But don't for a second think that that means you can just sort of, you know, you can take a day off. Sure, I have, I have employees now. I can go I can go to the beach for a day. But don't for a second think that means you could say, okay, it'll run by itself. Isn't it right. Normal? And then during this time with the Help a Reporter out, is that also when you're doing Geek Factory? Or I don't know if we want to talk about that. Uh, Geek Factory was the PR firm and was acquired in 2001. The clients and the staff were acquired. I kept the name. And Geek Factory right now is really just sort of a holding company. It's the holding company that sort of any new crazy idea I have goes to that holding company. And if something comes out of it, then I sort of move it into its own machine, as it were. I mean, is there examples of that, too? Or are you just like randomly walking down the street? Well, yeah, Harrow ran, Harrow ran through Geek Factory when I first started it. You know, my mastermind group ran through through Geek Factory. I consider Geek Factory sort of the bowl of tapioca that is my brain. If I take a nice spoonful out and it starts to move forward, then I make it into something on its own. Otherwise, it's just easier uh, for financial sake just to keep it. So do you have different people who work for there and then run it through? And are they just kind of... So I pretty much run... Since I've sold Harrow, I pretty much run everything on my own. I do not... I have one assistant. Other than that, I have no employees. And I'm actually a much prefer it that way, primarily because I am not great at delegating. I'm not great at managing. So what did you think about that group call? That was good. It's cool because you get to see what other people are doing. They're kind of in the same stage as me. Hopefully that was helpful. Definitely. Yeah. Actually, a lot of stuff. The Upwork thing was very interesting. And you have to understand what you're great at and what you're not great at. And so for me, I am great at coming up with great ideas, starting to implement them. But in terms of hiring people and having a staff and managing them, I am not tremendously great at that.
How did you learn that? Was it just effort, repeated mistakes when you're trying to, I mean, because I don't know how big did the hero get where you're managing people? I had seven people working. Okay. And was that probably your height? No, actually, when I ran my PR firm, I had 12 people working for me. I guess as far as difficulty with like trying to manage that, like, because I've always found out there's different groups where, okay, you know, you hire one person and that's a different management type than you're doing for five. Yeah. I just suck at managing. There are certain things I'm great to, there's certain things I'm great at, certain things I'm terrible at. I'm great at, like I said, coming up with the ideas. I'm great at creating content. I wrote a three huge blog posts in the past two hours, right? I'm not great at delegating, managing, scheduling, things like that. My assistant does not let me schedule my own things. I do not have right access to my calendar because I tend to screw that up religiously. So it is so much easier to not, if I want to do something, if I want to put something into the calendar, if I want to have an event, I tell Megan, I say, hey, Megan, I want to do this. Can, can I, and can you find a time where I can? And she does. And that is probably the sign of a really good CEO or a really good entrepreneur in that they know what they're great at and they're great at doing it. However, they understand what they're terrible at and they make sure that they don't do that or more importantly, that they can give that to someone else. Okay. I guess through this journey thus far, what's been kind of your hardest obstacles that you have overcome like business or personal wise? I think one of the biggest obstacles that you can call it that was sort of I always knew I was different and I always knew that I was very not your typical whatever. And because of that, I would try things. Hey, let's see what happens. Let's try this. Let's do that, whatever. And it would become, it would either work or not work. They were strange things enough that it wound up getting me in some, not trouble, but you know, if it worked or if it made a splash or if it got suppressed, I'd usually get ripped on by like Gawker or something like that. And over time, I think one of the biggest obstacles I ever came and I'm so thrilled that I did was I learned about, I learned to not care. I learned to not care about what others thought of me, about what they say, about what they write, about, you know, the only person I have to impress time was myself. Now it's myself and my daughter. And that's it. I don't have to care about what other people think of me. I don't have to care what they write about. I am doing my thing. I will continue to do my thing. And that's it. And that was a tremendously hard lesson to learn. And when I finally learned it, it was like a freedom. It was a freedom I never experienced before. It's like, yeah, I don't, I mean, sure, we want everyone to like us and all that. But you know what? At the end of the day... I want to know that I'm doing things because I want to do them. I'm doing things because I think they're useful. I'm doing things because they help the world. And I have yet to meet one hater or one bad article about me that helps me pay my mortgage. Right. Yeah, that's understood. And that, as soon as I realized that, and, and, you know, look, it still sucks when I see articles that, you know, hate on me or whatever, but I handle it just a shitload better than I ever have. Right. What do you mean by hating? Is it because dealing with the ADHD or what? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, you know, people with ADHD and, and entrepreneurs in general tend to have uh, imposter syndrome. They tend to not believe that they're doing that great, right? They tend to not believe that they're actually worth anything or that they, they tend to believe a lot of their success is, is, is fake, you know, is, is just sheer luck. And I'm no different. I tend to uh, believe that all the time. And so for me, when something great does happen, I've learned to internalize it and appreciate it more and say, yeah, you know what? I really did that. I need to accept that. I need to be happy about that. I need to be internalize it and embrace that. And that will prevent me from sort of reading the comments, you know, listening to the, listening to the haters. I mean, was there a turning point when you decided that that what you should do? I mean, as far as like talk about ADHD or that in general? I think the big thing for me was um, I, a couple of years ago, realized that the majority of what I do is, like I said, because I'm ADHD, it allows me to do these ideas and, and they've worked really well for me. And so a couple of years ago, I said, hey, guys, if I did a, a webinar about how I uh, use my um, ADHD to my advantage, you know, anyone want to show up? And I, I put it out there. I'm just putting it on Facebook, whatever. And I figured 100 people. I got I think like 6,000 people signed up for this webinar. 
And it was unbelievable. So from that, I'm like, okay, there are a lot of people out there like me. And that changed me as well, because I'm like, well, shit, if a lot of people are willing to come to this webinar and now want to listen to my podcast, that obviously tells me that they believe not only that there is something that they have as well that they want to work on, but also that maybe what I have is worthwhile and not necessarily this negative thing that i thought for years and and that's you know a huge wake-up call well yeah no i think even just saying those four letters <laughs> it seems like there's a negative connotation every time is that is that right it's not and it's not a disability right i mean it really is there is a negative connotation and it's so not a disability if you learn how to drive a honda and that's the only car you've ever driven and then someone gives you a lamborghini it says go have fun you know you're going to smack that car into a tree until you learn how to drive it because it's much faster you need to learn how to drive it and so for me it's just simply about learning how to drive my brain differently than everyone else drives their brain Oh, well, I have a feeling that most people will know, but why don't we just really quickly discuss what the difference is and what exactly is ADHD? Yeah, I mean, ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I don't believe it's a disorder. I also don't believe you're diagnosed with it. I believe you're gifted with it. And for me, it simply means that my body does not create enough dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline as a normal person does. Um, and so as such, I'm constantly looking for something else to keep me excited, occupied, whatever. Some people do that by taking medication, which is sort of like, you know, methamphetamine, the things that ups the amount, or amphetamine is not methamphetamine, that ups the amount of dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline, making you sort of normal, quote unquote. There are other um, people, like myself, who prefer to get their dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline boosts through exercise or through doing things that give them that rush. So, you know, it's no coincidence that I'm a licensed skydiver with close to 500 jumps, right? It's no coincidence that I've done two Ironman triathlons and that I have to work out before I do anything in the morning. And so I'm up like, you know, at 4 a.m. and either on my Peloton bike or at the gym by 5.30. It is so mandatory. So for me, understanding how to do these things and understanding what makes me better for it, right? Like if I before this call, I dropped and did 10 push-ups. you know, not because I'm trying to impress you with my awesome pecs, but rather because the simple act of doing something as simple as 10 push-ups will fundamentally change the chemistry of my brain for a little bit. It'll dopamine, it'll give me a little serotonin push, and that's what I need to get me through. So for me, that's really what I know works for me. There are other people for whom medication works. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I do think that we over-medicate our kids a lot. We look at the concept that a five-year-old is, is hyper. Oh, let's throw him on medication. Well, maybe he's hyper because, you know, he's five. Right. And perhaps he's hyper because, you know, he, you wake him up in the morning, give him two bowls of super sugar bomb snacks or whatever, and then put him in front of the TV before school. Instead, how about giving him a couple of eggs, some protein, let him run around for a half hour before school, you know, see what happens there. And so for me, it's, again, just really knowing myself, knowing myself, knowing what I do and knowing what works for me. You know, I don't drink because I have the ability to drink too much, right? Most people with ADHD don't have the ability to moderate. I have, I joke, I have two speeds, namaste and I'll cut a bitch. <laughs> That's pretty much it, you know? So for me, it's really about understanding that and being able to either do the things that are good for me and avoid the things that are bad for me. You know, it's a great line in the West Wing where John Spencer, chief of staff, someone says to him, says, if you had one drink, everything would go, go back to hell. And he goes, but I, I don't want one drink. I want 10 drinks. You know, and that's sort of the premise for me. And, and that it's that way with a lot of things. It's that way with a lot of things in my life. It's just easier for me to not start. And so to prevent that, I do, you know, I go to sleep early. I get up early. I make sure that I'm, my day is filled. I make sure I'm busy. And that makes life a lot easier for me and a lot more useful. I think I found that in interviewing a lot of these entrepreneurs that most of them, including myself, are kind of extremist, if you will. So either you're all in. There's no middle ground. Right. So either you're all in on business or it could be other things. Like I said, I mean, I've talked about guys who went on a bench of alcohol for like five or six years and that's all he did and did not work, even though he was successful beforehand and then yeah. afterwards. So, I mean, was there a point when the drinking, like you had to figure out that, hey, I need to stop drinking at all or... 
You know what's interesting? I never had a bottom, as they call it. I never had like I never woke up in like where somewhere I didn't know. I never got in the car and drove. I never I never did anything stupid, right? I never did any, the only thing I ever did was I bought domain name. But it wasn't about getting drunk. It was about having a drink, having another drink, having a good time. And you go to event, you go to events, you go to uh, industry events. The alcohol's free, right? People are it's flowing around. So for me, it was just easier to woke up one day and I'm like, you know what? This is. It wasn't even so much the drinking. It was the fact that at the end of the, you know, I'd go to bed. I'd feel like crap. I'd wake up the next morning. I'd feel like crap. I'd take a couple of Excedrin. Well, now I'm dehydrated, so I feel like crap. So I know what I should do. I should probably have a, uh, let me order in like three grilled cheese and tomato sandwiches and the grease will help me. Okay. So did that. Well, now it's 10. Let me, I'll just work from home. It's 930. What the hell? Okay. Well, now I should probably just, you know, chill out. If I'm going to work from home, well, it's 1230. Okay. You know what? I'll order a pizza for lunch. What that? Well, it's 430. I've ordered pizza and ruined my day. Yeah, I might as well have a drink. You know, it's a three week process, right? I'm still getting my work done. I'm still being very functioning, but it's just, I didn't like who I was. And, you know, I have a great trainer at the gym and he goes, Peter, a cheat day can't last for two weeks. You know, that was a great way to wake up. And so for me, I just woke up last October of 15 and I'm like, this is bullshit. It's time to change. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like what I was, how I looked in the mirror. And so yeah, quit. I, I've dropped uh, 45 pounds. I've got a lot faster on my swimming, biking and running. And I'm feeling good. Again, I'm not sitting there and I'm not suggesting anyone else do that. Um, it works for me. You know, I can't tell you what do I can't do it. Anyway. I can tell you what works for me. Yeah, that's why we're here. Successful people like you that we want to learn from. I mean, I think you've already given us good tips and little lessons. So like the push up thing, do you do that every time before? Pretty much either before a meeting or I'll walk around the, uh, the building or I'll walk up the stairs or, you know, just something, something to get my blood flowing, raise my heart rate to a little bit. That's all you really need. I think it's great. So I guess with transitioning, what's your day like mostly day to day to, you know, I know obviously what well, we know, you don't set your schedule, but <laughs> as huh. far as your assistant setting the schedule, do you have a certain routines during the week or how's that usually work? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I got to work out first thing in the morning, wherever I am. So whether I'm at a gym at a hotel, whether, you know, wherever I have to work out. So like tomorrow, for instance, I have a 7am flight down to Florida, which means I have to leave my house at five, which means I have to, if I want to do 45 minutes on my Peloton, I have to get up probably around 3.30. Right. So I'll get up at 3.30. I'll do my first 45 minutes. I'll jump into the shower. I'll get to the airport. So why? Because I have three hours on a plane and I know that if I have the dopamine for my workout, I'll be able to use those three hours productively and get work done. So I know that's tomorrow's, my morning tomorrow. So that's what I'm planning on doing. So I'll do that. And then on days when I'm not traveling, I basically get up, I go to the gym, I go and come to the office, I produce content all day. I might have some calls, some meetings, whatever. I let Megan schedule it. We're really uh, schedule it and make sure that you know, I only try to get meetings one day a week. The rest of the time, I'm really just there trying to go into deep work and focus of writing or producing something like that. And then other times when I am traveling, I make sure to, to bring as much possible work as I can do to get it done on planes. I'm great on planes. And it's never the same day, but I do try to do very specific things every day that have to happen. Well, how do you generally make money today? Like I said, an online mastermind group called Shank Minds that is for entrepreneurs with one to three years under their belt. I sort of help them out. That helps. And then I have my podcast, Faster Than Normal for ADHD. That does, you know, we have sponsorship for that. And then I have a book coming out on that. It's my fifth book. And then I consult on occasion. Not often. I don't like to do it that much. But I do consult uh, if I have if there are companies who I'm friends with. And I'm an angel investor. I have about nine investments out, some of which are doing very well. And I speculate on stuff. I'm in the cryptocurrency market and things like that. Well, if you don't mind, can we talk a little bit more about shake minds and kind of what more in detail and what you've like learned as far as helping out those entrepreneurs? So when I started my career, sorry, after I sold Harrow and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, I was getting all these offers. Hey, you sold your company. You should join our mastermind group and, and help yourself and help others. It's only a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, <laughs> I could blow a hundred thousand dollars a year in a mastermind. I probably wouldn't need a mastermind. And I realized that I did this all on my own and I realized that I had, you know, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is lonely as shit, man. Oh, I'll give you that. that. That's why I'm doing this. Honestly, people don't realize how lonely entrepreneurship <laughs> it is. is. So, 
I'm like, and I've lost a couple of friends to suicide who are entrepreneurs, you know, who just couldn't, didn't have anyone to talk to, even though they're like, hey, guys, talk to me. I'm like, this is bullshit. We got to stop losing people. We got to make it less lonely to be an entrepreneur, you know, because think about it. You don't, like, I was married to a woman who wasn't an entrepreneur and I love her to death and I still love her and she's a wonderful woman, but she didn't understand what I did. And she did not understand what it was like for me to have a bad day because in her mind, you can work from anywhere. You're always having a good day. She didn't get it. And I don't blame her for that. She wasn't an entrepreneur. She worked for a company. And so, I started this company, or rather this mastermind group called Shank Minds, and it's an online group with, we have optional calls twice a week where you can call in, you can, you can, uh, you can get advice, you can do whatever. And for me, it was really about, I wanted to give back a way for people to get help, you know, to who are just starting out or who are a couple of years in who just might need an audience and who might need friends to talk to and people to help. So even something as simple as I'm struggling with this idea, how do I blow through this, right? And so for me, that's really what prompted it. And it's great. We have a, just under 200 people in it. I, and it's like I said, it's cheap. I charge 79 bucks a month, right? Because I don't want people to feel like they can't find people to work with just because they don't know people. So yeah, it's going really, really well. I'm, I'm really happy with it. We have great, just, it's a one, it's almost like a family. We held an in-person event last week. 40 people showed up. It was, we sold it out. We're trying to do a new one next year. It's, I'm really happy with it. I, I couldn't be happy. It's just nice to help people. You know, we, we put up goals and we put up things that we want to do. What is your goal this month? What is your goal this week? Things like that. It's yeah. good. Well, yeah. But how do you do those type of calls? Are they Skype calls or how do you yeah, use Zoom? So the video calls. And then, of course, we have a Facebook, a private Facebook group where everyone comes in and talks. And uh, yeah, it's pretty great. I'm really happy with how it's grown. And so people who want to learn more, it's just, is shankminds.com? Shankminds.com. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, well, yeah, you touched on something there in the beginning that I think is really important. Like I said, part of the reason I'm doing the podcast is, can you talk about the loneliness in entrepreneurship, what you've experienced? And I don't know if what you've learned through the business mastermind, if you can give us a couple keys. Yeah, I mean, I think the key to understanding entrepreneurship is to understand that, yeah, you are on a lonely road, but you have to find people to share. Because if you don't have an audience of people, people that you trust, people you can come and say, hey, how do I get past this? How do I... You're going to fail. And ask any entrepreneur. They will tell you they have a tribe. They have a group of people, whether it's one, two, three, ten, hundred people, who they can go to without any judgment, without any issues, who want to help them. And that's what you need to have. Because if you don't have that, you don't have the ability to get out of your own head. And the worst thing is coming up with an idea, not sure if it will work, and you're stuck in your own head without being able to do anything about it. You need people to both say, hey, that's a great idea. How about trying it this way? Or say, hey, you know what? That's a completely dumb idea. It'll never work. You know, let me save it. And, and whatever it is, just give me the feedback that we so desperately need. And as an entrepreneur, it's just so required. And, and I'm not pitching that you should join my mastermind. I happen to love the people in the mastermind, but join the mastermind that works for you. Right. Right. Join the group that works for you. The nice thing about ours, I trust these people. I can come to these people. Like, Guys, I, a couple of weeks ago, I found out my foot had, um, I had surgery on my foot last year and it turns out it didn't take after again. Well, there goes my 2017 running season. Bummed as hell. Right. So I turned to my group. I'm like, guys, someone help me out here. I'm bored as hell. And they all jumped in. Ah, it's cool. You can swim. You can bike. You'll be back on this. Don't worry about it. It's time. You know, someone sent me a stress a punching bag, said, use this. You know, it's good to have a group of people who, who have your back. Yeah, I think it's important, too, because as we're learning more, there's gonna be more and more people working from home and, you know, having to kind of go through that because I've, I've had the same thing where, you know, I work from home and you've been doing it for four years, started my own company then and then been successful. But then people don't understand. Oh, yeah, you can kind of take off whenever I want, do whatever I want. But then you don't have that camaraderie that people don't really think about all the time, you know, when you do go to the office or that necessarily, at least for me, I don't get a paycheck every two weeks. It's based on how many deals are closed, et cetera. So exactly. I think just reemphasizing how difficult it can be to overcome that and thinking that you're not alone in dealing with that. Because I mean, first couple of years, I went straight on. I mean, I was just like out there to prove anyone wrong, work my ass off. But eventually kind of get tired after you've been a little bit. I find out that most of the people after they've had a little bit of success is when they start maybe working as hard and you start kind of getting more lonely. So like I said, I think that's important. Has there been any other like great things that you've learned by doing the mastermind? The nice thing is that you're able to share things with people who 
while you might not be able to see it, other people haven't been dealing with it. So they can look at it and say, hey, this makes, you know, what about trying it this way or trying it that way? And it totally allows you to see things in a way that you normally wouldn't have seen before. And that to me is, is you know, one of the greatest things. I can get ideas and feedback on things that I've never even thought of. Oh my God, yeah, that'll totally work. I can't believe I didn't think of that in the first place, you know? Mm -hmm. Commend you for like doing the business mastermind. Could you talk a little bit more about that whenever you uh, started looking around? Because I see so many of these groups that are like, oh, yeah, just pay, you know, 10K a year, 15K a year to be in the mastermind is a joke. That's the first right? reason I started at the price point I did. 79 bucks a month is, in New York City is like seven lattes. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. It should not be more than that. Look, I'm just a big believer that when if you've had any monocle of success, you have a responsibility to send the elevator back down. And that's why I started this. Okay. And so I guess going from there as an angel investor, have you learned anything to learn about entrepreneurship or people who are starting their companies that could help out from your viewpoint as an angel investor? The advice I could possibly give you is do your homework. I cannot tell you how many people have come in and pitched me and had not done the most basic homework on me. Mm -hmm. I had someone pitch me about an idea that would improve the GoPro camera. Mm -hmm. And when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And I'm thinking, this guy must know I'm a skydiver. He must have He comes in and he brings a, cop, a GoPro with him. And he says, this is a GoPro camera, just in case you're not familiar with it. You know, it's used by adventure, like risk takers, skydivers, the uh, scuba divers, and that. And he starts explaining what it is. And I'm like, okay, the most cursory search of the words GoPro and Peter Shankman would have brought you to a video that shows you that I was actually the first person to ever jump with a GoPro. I was the first skydiver in history to ever jump with a GoPro. I am friends with Nicholas Woodman, who founded the company. How can I give you money and trust you to do anything with it that'll work if you can't even, dude, really? You didn't even know that? Right. And it killed me. It was a great idea. I totally would have invested in it, but come on. Well, I'd been kind of listening for a while. I did listen to your first Patreon call. And um, there's a couple guys in there that for what they did or what they were doing, it kind of intrigued me. And um, then I've heard a couple of the commercials or whatever that so-and-so was going to be on there. Clicked on your new episode the other day and I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I got to do this. You'd say your number one lesson there is just doing homework and actually Googling and figuring out things before you come to the meeting. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, with most of that said, I think gave us a lot of great points. I appreciate it. I was gonna, as far as your future, what are you predicting? Do you see yourself kind of going in more of one direction or what, what predictions do you have? I just keep having fun. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that we're moving into a, this wonderful, um, more of a social world, a, a social customer economy where the customer has more control than ever before. And I'm a big believer in the Internet of, Internet of Things. I'm a big believer in 5G. I'm an advisor to several companies uh, like Huawei and people like that that, that are, are working on that. And for me, it's it's just fascinating. So I'm looking forward to the future. If anyone wants to say thank you or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I am at Peter Shankman on all the socials. My personal website is shankman.com and my uh, the mastermind is shankminds.com. The ADHD podcast is fasterthannormal.com. All right. Well, like I said, thank you for coming on and uh, discussing your life and helping our entrepreneurs who are listening today. My pleasure. I hope, I hope it was useful. And if you want timestamp show notes for this episode, you can find them at millionaire-interviews.com backslash 008. And that goes for any episode. Just type our website backslash and then the episode number. And for those of you that are curious about timestamp show notes, basically that means instead of searching around for a quote or a key point in the episode, we have them so you can automatically click on a certain time in the episode and it'll jump you to it. So instead of searching around for 30 minutes, trying to find one of those key points or quotes, we'll automatically jump you there. So go ahead and check out our episode again here, millionaire-interviews.com backslash 008 for the Peter Shankman interview. Thanks again for listening and catch you next time.